The Signal and the Noise by Nate Silver One sentence summary The Signal and the Noise explains why so many predictions end up being wrong and how statisticians, politicians and meteorologists fall prey to masses of data when finding important signals is mostly a matter of being cautious, diligent and most importantly, human. My favorite quote from the author is We need to stop and admit it. We have a prediction problem. We love to predict things and we aren't very good at it. Nate Silver Nate Silver deserves some props. He predicted the voting outcome of 49 out of 50 US states correctly in 2008 and then nailed all 50 in 2012. Since revealing his identity in public and making those predictions, his popularity and that of his blog 538, where he writes about his predictions, has exploded. Eventually, the blog was acquired by ESPN, Baseball is another field Nat likes to analyze. And Silver was made editor-in-chief. Given his track record, it's also the best place to turn to in case you want to know who's likely to win the seemingly eternal Trump versus Clinton battle. Well, we now know how that one turned out, didn't we? In this instant New York Times bestseller, he explains why so many predictions fail and how you can use a few tools and principles to make better calls about the future. Here are three lessons to help you tell the signal from the noise. 1. Most economists try to predict too accurately and are too confident about their skills. 2. Every prediction always needs the proper assessment of a human being. 3. You can use Bayes' theorem to account for errors in your own predictions. Ready to beat the weatherman? Let's update your statistics software. The signal and the noise lesson 1. Exact numbers and accuracy estimates rarely hold up. This answers the question, what are some examples of how humans are bad at predicting? Here are some of the people who make a living off predictions. Sports commentators and broadcasters, stock analysts, the people in charge of the weather forecast, pollsters, poker players, economists, marketers and of course fortune tellers. Sadly, most of the people in the other categories have more in common with the last one, a typical funfair scam, than we would like them to. Due to making so many errors, it's hard to trust these people after a while. But why do they make so many of them in the first place? Looking at economists as an example, they'll usually say things like this. We expect gross domestic product to grow by 2.9% next year. In reality though, the result of their analysis had yielded something like this. There's a likelihood of 90% that GDP growth will lie somewhere between 2.1 and 3.7% the next year. This is a whole other story. Instead of just picking the middle and predicting an exact number, economists should admit that the best they can do is to give an interval. Secondly, the accuracy of that interval is often greatly overestimated. Forget those 90%, more like 50%. Since 1968, the actual GDP growth percentage has fallen completely outside of the given interval half of the time. They're not only wrong, they're confident about it too. The Signal and the Noise Lesson 2 Human judgment is a necessity for all good predictions. This answers the question, why can't great predictions rely only on data? Where does this hubris and false sense of judgment come from? Mostly from turning off their common sense and relying solely on statistical data. Since the dawn of the internet, we have more information available to us than ever. 
Over 4 million economic indicators are being tracked constantly, so it feels natural to rely on the hard facts and statistical data for making predictions. Given this extreme amount of data though, the critical thinking and filtering based on your own reasoning has become all the more important. With so many correlating factors, some coincidences are bound to arise, and relying on them is certain to backfire after a while. For example, for 30 years, all the data pointed towards the stock market experiencing a surge in gains for the rest of the year. If the Super Bowl winner was a team from the NFL. If a team from the AFL won, that meant losses for the stock market. This hypothesis held up 28 out of 30 years between 1967 and 1997, leaving only a 1 in 4.7 million chance that this is a coincidence. But guess what? It is a coincidence, because stocks and football are totally unrelated. Since 1998, this trend has reversed. No matter how much technology we use to maneuver the wealth of data available to us, it is of crucial importance to always have a human being sit at the table, take a skeptical look at the analysis and call the shots. The signal and the noise, lesson 3. If you want to make your predictions better, use Bayes' theorem. This answers the question, what is a statistically grounded way to make our own judgments and predictions better? To help you make better decisions, here is a cool tool you can use, Bayes' theorem. What it comes down to is a simple mathematical formula that you can use to predict the likelihood of something under the assumption that a given fact is true. A popular example used to explain it is the likelihood of having breast cancer if the result of your mammogram is positive. You might know that roughly 10% of all positive mammogram results are so-called false positives. So 1 out of 10 people with a positive result don't actually have cancer. This might lead you to think that even if you have a positive result, there's still just a 90% chance that you have cancer. But actually, it's a lot less still, because you need to account for how many people overall have cancer. For example, if you factor in that only 1% of people eventually end up with the disease and that even for those that have it, the mammogram results only positive 3 out of 4 times, you can put together the equation as follows. Divide the percentage of correctly positive labeled people with cancer, which is 75% times 1%, by all positively labeled people, aka those who actually have cancer and a positive result and those with a false positive. So, 75% times 1% plus 10% times 99%. Which will show you that a positive mammogram result means you still have just a 7% chance of actually having cancer. And by the way, I made those numbers up. Research shows that the number of people with cancer after a positive mammogram result is about roughly 10%. My personal takeaways from the signal and the noise for 2017. Okay, couple things. I know this was a tough one. It's not very easy. First of all, 538 Nate Silver's blog, he tanked too, so he fails too, because he didn't predict the Trump versus Clinton battle correctly. Uh, so he didn't uh, predict the, the outcome uh, right there. He was, he was far off. I think, like everyone, he was far off. So his uh, predictions for the election went uh, 
they were very far apart. So in the beginning, he said Trump has like a 10% chance of winning. And then they came close together till, till it was almost 50-50. They went apart again, came back close together. But by the time the election rolled around, they were ver- spread very far, very widely. And I think he gave Hillary Clinton a 90% chance of winning. And then all this madness happened and Trump won. So he gets it wrong too sometimes, right? Uh, I don't exactly know what the reason is, but if you go to 538.com, um, you can read up on that because he published many statements. He's very transparent about it. He published many statements about what could have been the cause of that, what where they went wrong, and so on, and which sections of the population they underestimated, and so on. So even he gets it wrong, right? Um, second, the people who make a living from predictions. I mean, the, uh, are, are, if you remember the list, sports commenters and broadcasters, stock analysts, uh, the weather people, pollsters, poker players, and so on, uh, some of them are just, I mean, you just wonder what they're even doing. I mean, take the weather forecast, for example. It's a fascinating topic I've had with my roommates and friends at, in Munich and so on for a while now. I never check the weather forecast. What I do is when I wake up in the morning, I open my uh, window and I look outside and I say, hmm, like, okay, what am I going to wear today? Maybe not, uh, for the past few weeks, I've checked my phone in the morning to see how the progression over the day might be. So whether there's any chance of rain or something like that, or whether I should bring a jacket. But that's really it. Like I haven't done more than that. My roommate, on the other hand, one of them at least, she checks the weather report one week in advance. She's like, next weekend, it's going to be shitty. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, have you ever gotten a proper prediction for the weather one week in advance? I have never heard of such a thing. It's never right. And there was a week recently where they predicted that Monday was a good day, which it was. And then Tuesday through Friday would be shitty and rainy. And it was awesome sunshine all week. I mean, like, come on. So I never, and that saves me a lot of time, right? Because I know these dudes are wrong all the time. Uh, I don't have to check the weather constantly, right? So I'm not losing time doing that. Uh, Another one I would encourage you to very much avoid is stock analysts. I mean, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I could rant about those all day. Um, If you buy an actively managed fund, right? Where some guy sits somewhere and makes trades for you all day. Guess what that means? First of all, you're paying him to do something, so he does something. But the more he does with stocks, there's a huge problem because what you do is you pick a good stock and you hold it until it wins. So there's not much to do there, right? So they trade all the time so that they seem active. For that activity, you're paying them a tremendous fee, like 5% or 6% or 7% a year, for screwing up your portfolio because they trade the good stocks away and they trade in the bad stocks. And they they lose money on uh no you have to pay money with each trade too because there's a fee for making the trade so there's a ton of stuff wrong with it if you take index funds instead they just model like a s&p 500 or another stock index they model those they do exactly the same thing the index does which is go up over time because on average stock market rises eight percent a year so if you hold the stocks for a couple years no problem Um, And they take just 1% or 2% because nobody's managing anything and nobody's predicting anything, so nobody can be wrong. Um, I I love it, especially when there's an economics magazine and they say, like, fund manager of the year, right? Always at the end of the year or or January, it's like, fund manager of the year, blah, 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 great track record, blah, 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 3,000% last year. And I'm like, yeah, but, like, what did he do the year before and the year before that? And also, 
just because he made 3,800% last year, that just means he had a good year. So he lucked out with his predictions. That's it. And most of the time, these people get a lot of money the next year because they're so popular now. And then they tank because they can't replicate the success because it was a coincidence. Um, yeah, so don't throw your money down people who people's throats who make predictions for a living. Because most of the time, you can make predictions that are just as good, if not better, on your own. Um, and remember this, this is really important that whatever predictions come in any reports, these are always, or most of the time, predictions of intervals, which hold up a certain amount of the time, right? So it's not, it's going to be 2.9%. It's more like there's a 50% chance it's going to be between 2 and 4%. That's much more like it. So keep those in mind that there's always statistics behind the statistics, I guess. Um, a popular example of where human judgment was necessary to add value to the data that they had was PayPal. Um, because PayPal, well, PayPal had, PayPal had a huge fraud problem in the beginning. There were so many people um, faking, uh, faking and scamming their way into money with PayPal in the beginning that they had to make a software to actually track these, these fraudulent transactions and then ban these people. But what they did was, initially when they uh, developed the software, the software went haywire, or rather it was too strict and it over-blocked people. So it blocked a ton of people that weren't doing anything wrong. So what they did afterwards is they had a person added to it and then all the accounts with critical activity were flagged. And then there was a person that said, looked at this and said, hmm, is this sketchy or not? Is this good? No, yes, no, yes, no. And selected out all the fraudulent accounts. And that was a system that worked, right? So it had to be human plus data together to make a proper decision. Um, didn't work the other way. Uh, yeah, love the, the NFL example. I mean, there's patterns like this, a lot of them. James Altucher talks about those too sometimes. Like, if the market goes up three days in a row uh, in the first week of the month and the blah, 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 right? There's a ton of these patterns and some of them work. And if you have a ton of them and combine them and take only the intersection, you might find a system that works, but it's a horrible way to manage things and tons of things you have to keep track of. Um, so instead of trying to find patterns you can always rely on, which don't exist, by the way. Use your gut instinct, use your common sense and the data, and both of them together will give you a good result. Okay, lastly, Bayes' theorem. Um, I don't think I can explain it really well in all detail. I would encourage you to use a YouTube video or Google it and read the Wikipedia page. There's the mammogram example again. But basically what it is, it says... Given that event A is true, because we know A is a certain way, what's the likelihood of event B? And that's the same thing with the cancer example, right? So if you know that 1% of the population gets breast cancer, and you know how often false positives come up in a mammogram, and how many uh, correct predictions mammograms make when people um, actually have cancer, you can put these numbers together in the formula, and what you will get at the end is the actual likelihood of someone with a positive mammogram result actually having the disease, which is lower than just the correctness of the mammogram test or just the population share of people with breast cancer, right? So you need to combine both. It's a really cool tool. It's very useful. I know it's not the easiest to understand, but it's also not that hard. And once you understand it, um, you can use it. And it's a very valuable, uh, helpful tool. So hope you check that out. I hope you learn more. 
Uh, again, Nate Silver, The Signal and the Noise, his blog, 538, awesome guy, worth checking out. Uh, he doesn't just do politics, he does a lot of other stuff. So, recommend that, and I will see you on the next summary.